Welcome to another session of Chabad Inspiration. And in this discussion, we're going to focus on freedom, growth, and happiness. In Judaism, the most famous event that we continuously, every day in our prayers, on Passover, when we make Kiddush Friday night, on Shabbos, on the holidays, we always mention this particular event more than any other is by far the exodus of Egypt. Judaism's most sacred and holy prayer, as we all know, is the Shema. The faith that the Jewish people declare, the faith in one God of Israel. If you look into the Tanakh and to the Torah, these two particular stories and commandments to mention every day the exodus of Egypt, as well as declaring every day our unequivocal faith in the one God of Israel, are mentioned in two separate portions and sections of the Torah. Yet nevertheless, in the traditional Shema that we say in our prayers, we always put these two together. We begin with the portion of Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero Israel, God is One. And we conclude, the third section is the story of the exodus of Egypt. I am God who took you out of Egypt. So the question that arises is the obvious one, why are we linking our unique faith in God, in the oneness of God, and to a story that happened over 3,300 years ago? What's the connection here? In Tanya we find a fascinating explanation from Rabbi Schneir Zalman, the founder of Chabad. And please allow me to share with you at least a taste of what he explains. It's primarily based on chapter 47 in the Tanya. Rabbi Schneir Zalman starts like this, and he says, the Talmud commands us, and we say this in the Passover Haggadah, in every generation and in every single day of our lives, an individual is obligated to see themselves as if, as if they personally left the land of Egypt. The question is obvious. Come on, this happened 3,300 years ago. So you want me, over 3,000 years later, to see and feel as if I personally left Egypt? And Torah is Torah's emes, which means a Torah of truth. If the Torah is a Torah of truth, how can you ask me to pretend that I feel like I left Egypt when in reality, it's not true. I didn't leave. It was my great, 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 great grandparents going back over 3,000 years ago. And you're expecting me to truthfully state that I left the land of Egypt. I'm experiencing the exodus of Egypt. So Rabbi Schneir Zalman brings from Kabbalistic writings that the human being's life is a composite of two primary ingredients. It is our soul, which is part of God as it is housed and clothed inside our physical body. The body is compared to the skin of a snake. It conceals what's really going on on the inside. As Rabbi Shneir Zalman explained earlier in Tanya, what is a jail? When you say a person was incarcerated, what's the tragedy here? In the United States of America today, certainly in white-collar crime, being locked up 
is actually on a beautiful campus with sports facilities, gyms, libraries. There's no real danger, per se, but obviously it's a tragedy. What's the tragedy? The person is not free to be themselves. The inside of the person, your personal desires, you cannot fulfill. You have to abide by jail rules. You can't leave the grounds. You have to be here at a particular time. You have to wake up at a particular time. You have to go to sleep at a particular time. You are not given the freedom to make your own decisions. You must follow the rules. And that, in the larger sense of the word, is incarceration. You're not free to be yourself. Says Abshneir Zalman, the same thing is true when you look at the journey that our soul took when it descended from heaven. Before we were born into our physical bodies, when we came out of our mother's womb, our neshama, our soul, was bound up with her father in heaven, with the infinite creator. Then God came along and said, Sweetheart, I'm sending you down for a journey. You're going downstairs into the body of a little baby, pure and innocent, but unfortunately as time goes by, you will become soiled. Unfortunately, you probably will sin in all likelihood. The majority of people sin. As the Tanakh says, the Bible makes the statement, There's no man that's righteous in the world that doesn't commit a sin. So the average person does sin. Obviously, there are the righteous, but those are very few. So therefore, the soul of the Jew and the soul of the human being feels incarcerated. We're very uncomfortable. The soul is screaming, let me out of here. You took me from a place that I was absolutely basking in the pleasures of God. I was basking in the truth of the infinite creator. Life was beautiful. And you threw me into a physical world where I have to toil to survive. I have to make sure that I don't dirty myself by committing any sin. And for what purpose? Only that after 120 years, you'll come back again to the same place where you started from? So what was the point of the journey? So clearly, from the soul's point of view, the journey to the physical body is not a pleasure at all. In fact, in Ethics of Our Fathers, we, sta- we read, it, re- it states, You are forced to come down to the physical world to live. In other words, our neshama, our soul, was so to speak crying before it came into this world, saying, please, Father, don't send me down to this mission. God, please don't send me down to the physical world. I have no interest and no desire. Good foods, cuisines, restaurants, vacations, riches, all of these attractions don't have any appeal, obviously, to a soul. So sending down a soul to the world for physical pleasure is not only meaningless, it's actually torturous. So therefore, when the Jew comes along and says, let me make my most sacred prayer. What is my most important goal, desire of my soul? What would, I, what would my soul say if I set her free and she expressed herself? The first thing your soul would say if you gave her the freedom to speak and be honest, candidly, was the soul would say, Please allow me to embrace my loving father 
that is my greatest pleasure. And that is why the most sacred prayer in Judaism, the prayer that we say at least twice a day, and the prayer which, as we all know, is the final prayer that a Jew says during his physical life, the goodbye prayer that the Jew says before a Jew passes on from the physical world is the prayer of the the Shema. In other words, the Jew declares, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Everything is about my Creator. Everything is about God. What does that mean? When you're truly in love with somebody, you want to spend all your time with that person. Any distraction, no matter how interesting it may be of that, is not only not a present or a gift, it's actually insulting and painful. I'm trying to spend... Precious time with a loved one, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a child. You love somebody dearly, and I want to spend exclusively quality time with this individual. And any distraction of that is only a negative. So when it comes to the soul, the soul says, please allow me to connect to the one that I love most dearly, to my source and origin, which is the infinite creator. Which is the reason why we say the Shema, tradition has it, that we cover our eyes with our right hand. And one of the basic reasons for that is so we can cover our eyes, block out all of the rest of the distractions of the physical world, and exclusively focus on our point of origin, allowing our soul to enjoy, at least for the moment, the freedom of of coming out of the jail cell, so to speak. In the language of the Kabbalist, escaping the skin of the snake and allowing the freedom to actually embrace and hug her beloved Father in Heaven. That is the greatest joy that the Princess, which is the soul within us, the Neshama, which is compared to a princess, the daughter of the king, desperately desires and enjoys more than anything else. Then the Alter Rebbe continues, Rabbi Zalman continues and says, where do we have this love from? This love is actually an inheritance. No, we don't have to work on it. You will notice that there are many Jews that all year round, you couldn't pay them to come to a shul on a regular Shabbos morning, or certainly not a regular weekday morning. But yet at the same time, for example, in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you couldn't pay them any money to stay out of shul. To say, you know what, I'm going to give you a million dollars, don't pray this year, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The average mature adult Jew is going to say, no, thank you. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I'm not going to pray for a good new year, for health, for life, to connect to my source. It's not a question of money. It's just not negotiable. There are certain things in life that are not negotiable. It's not a money issue. Where does our our deep love for our Creator come from? The unbreakable bond between the Jew and God, that is an inheritance. As we say in davening, which means the Torah that we have, the way of life that we have, the set of faith and conviction that the Jewish people have is an inheritance from Moshe, who inherited it from Jacob, who inherited it obviously from his grandfather and father, Abraham and Isaac, Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov. And as Rabbi Shneir Zalman explains in chapter 47, that love 
Abraham had to earn. Avram Avinu earned that. He worked very hard. He selflessly sacrificed himself and devoted his life exclusively to God. And he was the only man in town. There were no other Jews to speak of. He was the only monotheist. He had a whole world against him. Talk about public opinion. Abraham was one man alone fighting a cause. And he was successful. As the, as the Tanakh testifies, Echad Avram. There was only one Abraham in history. He fought against the entire world. He had the courage to stand up against the faith and convictions of everyone else. And he became the first Jew because he believed in what was right and not what was popular. And as such, God gave Abraham the gift that just like when a human being automatically, when you father a child, the child is human. It's not possible for a human being to give birth to an animal because you're human. So your children will be human just like you. In the same sense, when Abraham gives birth to the Jewish nation, the Jews of the future will reflect their father, their founding father, Abraham, who has an unstoppable love as the princess has to embrace her father. And that is precisely what the Jewish people personify. And for that reason, when we say the Amida de Shmon Esrei, we immediately evoke Elokei Avraham, the father, the, the God of Abraham. Because it is precisely the fact that we are descendants of Abraham, of Avraham Avinu, that we have this inheritance that's given to every single Jew, regardless of the fact if they know about it or not. Just like a child. Even if the child, while was, the child was still a fetus in the mother's womb, unfortunately, the father passes away during that period of time. According to Jewish law, which means a fetus in the mother's womb inherits automatically all the possessions that the father owned. Why? You can argue you never even met your father. You have no idea who your father is. It's not the issue. My existence is so bound up with my father because my father is the one that caused my entire existence and I'm only here as a result, a manifestation of my father's gift to me, then therefore my entire essence is forever bound up with my father. And that's what the Jew is saying. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hero Israel, the Jew and God are united as one. We're not separate individuals that happen to make a pact and we connect it to each other. And when you connect, there's always a chance of disconnecting. You can, you can connect today, and if you choose to, you can separate tomorrow. It's your free choice. But when it comes to a parent and a child, it is not conceivable to state that a child says, here on forth, I no longer have a connection with my parents. That's a contradiction in terms. If you exist, then by definition, you're an extension of your parents. If it wasn't for your parents, you wouldn't be here. So on the deepest of levels, our very existence is testimony to the fact that we are connected to our source, to our parents, to God, to our Father in heaven. Now that that gift was given to Abraham, God says to Abraham, and now your children will inherit this love that you have for me, this great, amazing relationship that the princess and her loving father have will automatically be granted to every single Jew. And that's why the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, even those that are less scholarly than others, have a burning 
love in their heart. Sometimes it's hidden and covered, and it has to be uncovered. But we always have, as a Jew, a feeling that I'm proud to be Jewish. And even if we can't explain it sometimes, just like a, a young child can't always verbalize why you're so connected to your father. Ask a three or five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a ten-year-old, what is it about your father that you love? And the child, boy or girl, is going to say, what do you mean, what? It's my father, it's daddy. The child doesn't have an explanation to sit down with you and give you scientific explanations. What the child is saying is that love transcends the limitations of words of rational thinking. It touches my core essence. If it touches my core essence, it's not a question of explaining it in any vocabulary. There's no words that are required to explain it. It is who I am. And therefore, at the end of the Amida, explains Rabbi Shneir Zalman, when we say in one of the final blessings, with the light of your face, of your countenance, Almighty God, you gave us. And we continue saying the Torah, the living Torah, etc. Reb Shnei Zalman reads it with an interesting Hasidic twist. And he says, with the countenance of your face, you gave us, what did you give us? Hashem Elokeinu, you gave us yourself. Not God gave us the Torah. By the light of your face, you gave us God himself. In other words, you gave us the gift that we are eternally connected as a princess to her father. The Jewish people are forever connected to God himself. And that is a gift that we appreciate that the essence of God lives within our hearts, each and every single one of us. And as Rabbi Shneir Zalman says, and therefore nobody and nothing in the world can stop you from making that deep, intimate, loving connection between us and our Heavenly Father. Unless, he says, if a person is not interested. Obviously, if you have no interest, I can't force you to hug the person that you don't want to hug and to connect to the person that you don't want to connect. But if you do want to connect, says Rabbi Shneir Zalman, immediately, the second that you want to connect, God says, I was always here for you. I, I was never hiding you are an extension of me. You are my child. You're my son and my daughter. I love you eternally, unconditionally. So it's not that we have to earn it from the Jewish point of view. Judaism doesn't believe that a Jew has to earn his right to have a relationship with God, as if God is detached in some, some other reality, and we're a second reality, and we're trying to find a bridge to connect the two of us. No. We cover our eyes and we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero Israel, God is one. There's nothing else than exist in existence outside of that truth of reality. Because just like a child, whatever the child will be, and whatever the child develops to be, and whatever the child will eventually be successful in life, that is all a byproduct of the fact that the parents gave the child life itself. So whatever you're doing, in essence, is an extension of the fact that your parents are giving you life as you speak, as you exist which is the reason why one of the Ten Commandments is a foundational statement, honor your mother and your father. It doesn't qualify the statement and say, well, honor them if they're nice to you, or honor them if, you're not, if you love them, and so on and so forth. It just makes an unequivocal statement. Honor your parents, and there's no reason. Why? Because they're your parents. Because without your parents, you wouldn't exist. So you're recognizing just a simple truth that you are nothing more than an extension of your parents, and as such, be respectful, 
and show your appreciation for the gift of life that your parents gave you. You didn't even work for it. It's a free gift. So therefore, the Jewish person is comforted when, he, when we close our eyes and we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, we block out everything else, and so to speak, if we can imagine the, 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 the scenery of a princess that was locked up in a jail, and the son of a king that was locked in a jail, the prince, that were deprived from the opportunity of meeting their father and receiving the love of their father, and finally somebody opens the door and sets them free, and they can run and embrace their father, their greatest joy and smile on their face is what? It's not the gifts that the father is going to give them. It's the very fact that I am reconnecting once again with my beloved father that was deprived from me all of this time that I was locked in jail. And therefore the Shema is the most sacred moment to the Jewish people to the extent that even at the end of life, the final prayer includes Primarily the Shema, the statement that the Jew says, Daddy, I came from you, I love you, and I'm reuniting with you. That is the power of the Shema. If that's the case, concludes Rabbi Shneir Zalman, although the commandment of reciting the Shema at least twice daily is in one section of the Torah, and the commandment of remembering the Exodus of Egypt is another section But what is the theme of the Exodus of Egypt? It's the exact same theme of stating God is one. In other words, the Exodus of Egypt is, I am stating, I was for a while in Egypt, and the word Mitzrayim in Hebrew translates to be narrow places. I was in a place of limitation where I was not free to be myself. I was not able to conduct a lifestyle in accordance to my wishes and desires and my pleasures. I was not able to connect to be with my loved one as a child of my parent, and now that I'm given that chance, I'm a free person. So the exodus of Egypt, as we say in the final words, Ani Hashem I am God that took you out of Egypt. In other words, by taking you out of Egypt, that in and of itself gave us a chance to reconnect with Almighty God, to marry God, so to speak, during 50 days later, during the celebration and the holiday of Shavuot, which is going to come up just in a few short weeks, which is the holiday of the giving of the Torah and the Ten Commandments, where God offered us a marriage contract. And on another deeper level, the excitement level of marriage, of a new attraction, was introduced to the old relationship, which could have been a little bit stagnant and old, and it gained a new sense of vibration of excitement, of thrill, of pleasure, of enjoyment. These are all metaphors that we're using to express how the physical human being on planet Earth nevertheless transcends all the physicalities and in truth is nothing less than a united force with the infinity of the creator of God himself. So therefore, just like the exodus of Egypt is the ability to leave the place where I am uncomfortable and I am given the chance to be a free man, not to be a slave in the land of Egypt, so too is the Shema, the opportunity to leave the skin of the snake, the the body's desires, and elevate and rise to a far greater, higher existence, which, which is the passionate love of our souls to reconnect with our Father in heaven. 
And therefore, Rabbi Shneir Zalman concludes, and that's why these two commandments were put together, and our sages commanded us to read the Shema, and first, in the beginning of the Shema, you'll declare how your body leaves, so to speak, the princess is led out of the jail and allowed to reconnect with her loving father. And then while you're at it, do the second commandment, which is the same theme, the same concept, and remembering the exodus of Egypt, which you are obligated to do every single day, do that now because that is also a form of an exodus. In both cases, you are exiting, whether it's the physical Egypt or, phys- or exiting the physical body's desires, and for at least a moment, we're focusing on something greater, which is the halachic reason in Jewish law, that most of the prayers, if you said the words, and for a moment you drifted and your mind was somewhere else while you were just saying it, but you mumbled the words. Technically, if you said it, it's okay, it's kosher. You don't have to repeat the entire prayer. But there are some sections of prayer that you have to repeat if you weren't focused. The Shema is a critical piece. You can't just say, I said the words, what difference does it make? Because it's not about the words. Shema is about not only the words, but the state, the emotions, the excitement of closing our eyes and declaring, Shema Yisrael, listen to me as a Jew, Hashem Elokeinu, God is our God, the Lord is one, Hashem Echad. That cannot just be mumbled. That has to be said in such a manner where I'm focused, at least for a few seconds, where at least I can embrace my father, my, my heavenly father with a true hug, even just for a moment. But that hug must be true and, and sincere and pure. And therefore concludes Rabbi Shneir Zalman, by saying this prayer and by the Jew doing the commandments, and even just by the Jew having a desire to connect, that in and of itself elevates us to a state of infinity, to unstoppable strengths and powers, because one spirit elicits the other. Just like when the princess shouts out, Daddy, I love you. Of course the father is going to turn around and embrace the child. It's his, it's, his, it's, his, it's his son and it's his daughter. He's going to love the child and of course he's going to embrace the child in return. So the moment we express our love, then God in turn expresses his love to us and we become instantly united and elevated above the physical trappings and limitations of life. And therefore, Rabshneir Zalman finishes explaining in one of the shortest chapters of Tanya, but perhaps a very potent and powerful chapter, chapter 47, where Rabshneir Zalman says, you are unlimited, you are truly the true free person, because true freedom is not that you can give in to your desires, to your desires, because in essence what you're really saying when you say I'm giving in to my desires, I'm not a truly free person, I'm a true slave, my desire dictated what I should do. So I gave in to my desire. So who's boss? You or the desire? Obviously the desire. But here the Jew says, I am free. I'm free of every, any outside forces controlling me, manipulating me, causing me to have a desire and anything else outside of my true interest. That's true freedom in the Jewish point of view. And that's the reason, for example, what did the Jews say, God forbid, when they went into the gas chambers? Their final prayer was Shema Yisrael. Who was the really who was the true free one? The Nazi animal that was killing the Jew? Or the Jew that nevertheless at that moment said, You can do that to me physically, but if in case you think that you're taking my freedom away, not at all. 
My most sacred freedom is the freedom for me to be who I want to be. And that freedom even the Nazi could not take away. To mention as a uh, sidebar, the very famous uh, explanation that the famous doctor uh, Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, mentions that we always have the freedom under all circumstances, regardless of outside conditions, to choose what we want to choose. That freedom nobody can ever take away from you. You always are free to choose your attitude, how to respond to those conditions, which interestingly is very much aligned with Hasidic thinking of what is going on here in chapter 47 in Tanya. But in any case, may God bless us all that we should have the strength and the wisdom to enjoy life, to realize that life is the opportunity of harmonizing the two opposites, the physical body and the great spirituality and holiness of the soul. And that is done when we become unlimited and we embrace the infinity of God because we recognize that we ourselves are nothing less than an extension of God himself. So if I am the child of the infinite one, then in in a certain context, I'm infinite. Because not because I believe in myself so much, I have so much egotistical arrogance that I believe that I am infinite. No, it's because I am a representative of the infinity of God's infinite capacity. And therefore, I represent my father. And if my father is infinite, then I'm basically using the credit card of my father's unlimited spending abilities. And if my father happens to be God, then I have the powers as a child to inherit all of the possessions and the ownings of our father. May God grant us all the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, the clarity, and obviously the good health to be able to rise from the difficult darkness of the world, but not, God forbid, by leaving the body and, God forbid, expiring, but to the contrary. The beauty of Judaism is that we celebrate life within the body. We can be inside the skin of a snake, so to speak, and even in the lowest of the low, in planet Earth, in a, in a world which is filled with desires of all sorts, even there the Jew has the ability to rise above and to transform the darkness into light, the bad into good. And we utilize and maximize our life's abilities, our talents, our opportunities in such a manner where we are truly proud of who we are and who we represent. And all of this together will certainly bring about that we will merit to see a day as the, as the Tanakh, the Torah promises us with almost all of the prophets, that we will see the day where the world will be rid of all illness, of all sickness, of all disease, of all jealousy, of all negativity. We will actually live and transcend time, which automatically means eternity, because the moment you're outside of time, so there is no time, past, present, and future, so you're living forever. And you're living in a state of absolute luxury because all the blessings of our infinite Father who has unlimited funds, so to speak, will be available to us without any limitations whatsoever. And we will enjoy the pleasures of the relationship between the creation and and the human being and the infinite wisdom of our God, of our Father, of our Creator, of the essence of who we are. May we merit to see and experience that special time of Mashiach's coming speedily in our very own days. Thank you very much for joining.